You're listening to the Finding Your Future in Food Systems podcast hosted by the North American Food Systems Network. The North American Food Systems Network is a professional development association for people working to strengthen local and regional food systems. In this podcast, we present different businesses and organizations across Europe working to develop food systems in their communities and across the continent. In this episode, we'll be talking about La Flore with Laura. Lafleur handmakes chocolates from five single-origin cacaos made in Zurich. Our goal here is to introduce organizations that you may be able to learn from and get involved with. Now let's dive in and meet our guest. So first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to the interview. I love talking about food and sustainability and everything that's behind it. I think it's such a beautiful world. I started working or getting interested in food and everything behind it 20 years ago when I was living in New York and just realizing that the food system, that there's a lot of edges and difficulties in the food system and how food can taste differently, like a a corn, how different qualities there are. And then once you start looking deeper, like I just couldn't stop. So I ended then I ended up in Italy at the at UNISC and doing a master's in food culture and communications. That's uh, more than 10 years ago so and I've been working in it since amazing and um yeah so that yeah it's funny because like uh people ask me so what's your job I'm like well I'm very Swiss I'm like a chocolate maker <laughs> and uh, but chocolate is just I I got to know chocolate better at UNISC we had classes and we also went to visit um two, two chocolate producers from Italy and Switzerland is so close to chocolate and you associate Switzerland with chocolate, but people here have no knowledge about chocolate and it's it's more a candy and La Flor really tries to give back the value to the product um, through producing chocolate, but also we have the chocolate factory in the center of Zurich. So actually today is Thursday afternoon, so we have open chocolate factory so people can come and do the tour and buy chocolate different chocolates so it's really it's I mean we all everybody that works in kind of the bean to bar transparent production of food or in this case chocolate we try to give the value to the product and it's difficult because our prices are high or it's like the real price and how do you justify that because we don't have a fancy shop where you walk in and it's super shiny and you know with the teak wood and it, it, it doesn't create an environment that makes you want to spend more which high-end shops do but it's more uh, how do we transfer uh, an appreciation for a product that then you're understanding you're willing to pay more for the product and understand the quality differences it's really the you know for there's kind of the chocolate candy when you know we talk about the mars bars or hershey chocolate that's really more sugar than cacao and what we're trying to for our consumers to to realize like hey it's actually a healthy product it's not doesn't need to be that much sugar inside and we all eat chocolate every day and we love it and it doesn't make us fat or unhealthy or because there's so many good things in cacao yeah so how can you tell the difference between you know the chocolate candy versus a high quality chocolate bar. If I was like, if you're a consumer kind of just in a grocery store, like, and you know, there's a lot of greenwashing with labels these days, I feel like it's difficult sometimes. So kind of, if I was like looking at 
a bunch of different chocolate bars? What are the kind of things I should be looking for? Well, the first thing I would do is always you look at the ingredient list and what's inside the most is, is listed first. So if you look at the ingredient list and sugar comes before cacao, that means you're buying candy, not chocolate. So the first ingredients should always be cacao and then sugar. Uh, and then comes maybe cacao butter and milk if you buy milk chocolate or if it's oat milk or something like that. Um, so first of all, you look at what's the first thing listed on the ingredient list. And then you look at, is there any other things added? Is there um, emulsifiers added? Is there vanilla added, like flavoring added? So you don't want to really buy chocolate with vanilla necessarily inside or with additives and then is somewhere on the packaging written where the cacao comes from that still doesn't mean it's good chocolate because as you say like in a supermarket it can be written like gonna fine flavored chocolate or something so you look at where does it come from ideally it's written more than the country if it's written like a, the name of a farm or a region, that always like makes it more specific. And the more specific it comes from, the people generally tend to pay more attention to their cacao. Like our, in our case, it's always the name of the farm or the origin. Sometimes it's a group of farmers or like a community. And they're so proud that their name is on the chocolate bar that they would never send us cacao. That's not great to make chocolate with um so but as a consumer i think th those are good things to look at um, the origin the ingredient list and then if there's like kind of flavor profiles written on the bar like you know something they're written like yeah notes of honey or nuts or because then you realize okay the people were thinking about flavor yeah and so for those that don't know could you kind of go into a little bit of the problems of chocolate in the food systems like why is chocolate so important to look at and the importance of like traceability with chocolate bars? Mm. Well, cacao is a commodity product. So that means it's, um, it's traded, which if production, if yields go up, you have more on the market, price goes down. Um, so it's a little bit of weird incentive. And also there's no traceability. And I don't know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's like over 90% of production comes from Cote d'Ivoire, and it goes through a lot of people's hands, and you have no traceability. And if it goes through a lot of people's hands, the people that produces the cacao, they the farmers usually they have the trees, so they or they harvest, they open the fruit up, they take out the seeds, then they ferment the seeds and they dry it, and then they sell the dried seeds. Um, in the fermentation process, all the flavors de develop, not all of it, also depends on the variety and how you take care of the trees. But let's say in general, the fermentation process is really important. And it's a spontaneous fermentation as, like, as if you do sourdough bread and it needs a lot of attention and focus and know-how. And if you don't do that correctly, if you don't care, if you, if you need money fast, you do that, you, you kind of don't ferment and then your cacao is very bitter, but it doesn't matter because you sell the cacao to the next guy, you just get the daily price for it and you just need the cash for your family to survive. You know? And that, that incentive doesn't create good quality cacao, unfortunately, and that's how the main system works. 
um, a lot of small scale farms. I'm not an expert in industrial cacao chocolate production. Um, so I've never been to Cultivar, so I've never seen it. So I can't really talk so well about it. It's not, but the movement we're in is really much more focused on that. It's always good quality food is usually always coupled to also taking care of nature and like uh, biodiversity and it always goes hand in hand that's why the more you work with it the more beautiful it becomes the whole system so i have more knowledge in that than in kind of the industrial production process no it's perfect do you want to talk about mm -hmm. your process at lafleur and how you got started and now what does kind of an operation look like for chocolate mm -hmm. so um, at the moment we work with cacao from five origins sometimes it's a farm sometimes it's a group of people and we they sh we get all the beans by boat and then one one cacao from colombia we get by sailboat and it arrives here and then the first thing we do is we peel the beans which actually another chocolate company does for us because we're too small we don't you just you have the bean and so the bean is fermented and dried in at origin so we receive the cacao bean it has a little shell around it so you the first thing you do is either you roast and then peel or you peel and then roast so we peel first then we roast the nibs in the oven in a normal convection oven 10 10 minutes and each cacao has a little bit of different roast profile depending on each recipe and then uh, we put the cacao nibs that are roasted into a, a melange called it's a stone grinder and it's it's two stones that turn in this kind of pot big big how do you say like big pot yeah like a pot and it takes four days mm -hmm. and it takes four days because through the through the grinding there's a friction heat is created and so the chocolate is slowly the chocolate mass through the grinding the chocolate is created and becomes because we want the chocolate to be really fine in the mouth no? and it takes four days for that process to happen and it also uh, the air that you pull into the chocolate mass creates the nice flavor which is called the conching so you have like the grinding and the conching we do in one so in the melanger we create the chocolate mass and after we have the chocolate mass we put it you still have to put it into a bar so you when you take out the chocolate mass out of the machines, you have to temper the chocolate, which means um, tempering the chocolate is that you have the fat crystals and the sugar crystals that need to bind. So you have that nice um, crack. Um, yeah, you say kind of like that. The snap, sorry, yeah. the snap with the chocolate and also the, the shininess. And that you do through the tempering and then through the tempering machine, we then put it into the, our bars. And after 15 minutes of cooling down, the chocolate is hard again. And then we package the chocolate and we have, so we have five different dark chocolates. And then we also do a dark milk chocolate, which in Switzerland, more than 90% of the chocolate sold is milk chocolate. So we do sell a lot of milk chocolate. Then we make one chocolate with cacao from Venezuela. We put in a corn flour, which is a toasted corn flour from the Italian part of Switzerland. It's a slow food presidio. So it's like a, only one mill left in Switzerland that produces this flour. And it's just, it's kind of our popcorn chocolate. It has a really nice flavor. It's more wow. playful. Yeah. And it's a very fun chocolate and has a beautiful story behind it. So we do also make chocolate with additions. So 
but the additions all also tell their story. And I think that's also something that's interesting for chocolate makers is to make chocolate with inclusions that have that tell stories, not just, you know, you have the classic hazelnut, but where does the right. hazelnut come from? What's the story behind it? But um, the, he was also, if I'd say, yeah, this is chocolate with corn, but there's so much, we have this uh, salt chocolate that with alpine salt crystals inside, also like a Swiss salt, which uh, wow. people love. Yeah. It sounds and delicious. We also <laughs> enroll. Yeah, we enrobe chocolate and things also with chocolate because we create chocolate bars, but also, you know, you can, chocolate bars is kind of, since we're not, we're chocolate makers, no, we're not chocolatiers, so we don't make pralines and things like that. So what we decided to do is chocolate enrobed things. So we have um, Piedmontese hazelnuts, of course, we have really nice almonds that we also work with directly from Sicily, the group, and then we have old bread that's like an upcycling product so it's um bread from bakeries that is unsold and it's cut up into pieces and then we enrobe it with chocolate so it's like a, it's, it's it tastes a little bit like maltesers oh okay that's so interesting yeah <laughs> yeah and people love it it's like we call them bread crumbs but oh, yeah. it's bread crumbs mm. with chocolate yeah. yeah, so we're always thinking about, you know, other pro products that we can create with the chocolate that people, and now we're working on a hot chocolate that we'll re release for, for the fall season. Oh, that's so exciting. That's excited. perfect timing. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, and, but we, what we also do a lot is the events and tours and classes because people, once you know, once you smell how it's created and once you have the fruit, like we serve the people the fruit juice to drink and the beans, and then you just kind of create a different appreciation for chocolate and you don't kind of just eat it quickly without thinking about it. Yeah. So you talked a lot about like the importance of like education around chocolate and kind of the storytelling with cacao. And so I'm just curious to know like the impact that you have on the community around the floor and like so do you see like a direct impact with people and their purchasing patterns or do you have a lot of customers coming in now that are like where is this where is my cacao coming from or kind of what's the role of education in your community mm -hmm. I think it's a really big one because people we do a lot of markets and events and a lot of people when I say do you want to try chocolate they'll be like oh I don't like dark chocolate it's too bitter and then kind of, and all, me too, I mean, I don't like the, the supermarket dark chocolate is really, it's no fun to eat, no? And I totally understand when somebody tells me I don't like dark chocolate because I know where they're coming from. So it's kind of <laughs> like that. And then people will be like, oh, I didn't know I like dark chocolate. And then they're like, thank you so much for introducing me to that, this wow. world. And at the end, you know, if they buy our chocolate, I mean, it's kind of like drinking wine. No, you don't buy the same bottle always. You buy ones from this producer, then you buy from this producer. But when you kind of know your style or you say like, oh, this is what I like. So getting people to eat darker chocolate with less sugar, but higher quality. So they appreciate the flavor differences like we have. We're four chocolate makers in Zurich that produce print bar chocolate. So, and for example, we don't have anything from Ghana or from Indonesia. We don't have mm -hmm. cacao, but other, other producers here in the city have. So no, you can eat a chocolate bar from Colombia from us. Then you can buy something from Ghana, from Garsoa or um, Peru. From an, like, 
which is nice. And that that's kind of what we're trying to do. I do these chocolate workshops where I also, we, we do the blind degustations. It's kind of like a wine workshop with chocolate, but we also flavor and taste a lot of other producers' chocolate. Because I think it's important to just p- get people to understand the different flavor varieties. Thanks to our biodiversity and origins, we have different flavor profiles in the chocolate, which is really nice. And then people get into it and they start discovering and then they keep on coming back. So that's kind of how we build a community. That's amazing. And how did you select the farms that you source your cacao from? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we, we kind of got recommended by people and then we went to visit and they recommend us the next people. We've also, one of my business partners has been to Ghana to visit a farm, but then kind of came back and was like, no, this is not... I mean, it's really the connections. No, you just go there, you meet the people. And even if, you know, it's always the thing, yeah, well, are you organic? certified but then you go on the farm and you stay with them you stay with them several days you see like what they eat what they drink how they treat the people how they're right and then you you're like okay this is somebody i want to work with and with cacao it's really a long-term relationship you work with and also i do have a connection from unisc uh, okay. one student um mondio Rotonda, he's from torino and he lives in Colombia, and he's uh, kind of our Colombia connection. He has his own chocolate. Where he makes great, amazing chocolate in Colombia called Disidiente. And he he's, for example, my connection in Colombia. So the farmers that we know, it's through him. Oh, okay. So the, the Unis connection. connection. <laughs> yes. Unis. Beautiful. Yeah. And so you also talked about how sustainability plays a big role in what you do, and it's important. So I was curious to know kind of how sustainability plays a role in your choice of packaging and labeling your products. Mm-hmm. So it's a mindset. So you no, know, so it, it's not only, yeah, how do we work, uh, what goes inside of our chocolate, how do we package it? It's uh, all compostable packaging. It's still not perfect. You know, it's produced in England and it has different compounds in it, but it is compostable. There's, it's plastic-free, it's aluminum-free. So we're trying a lot, a lot of levels, but also for me, like that, just the health of our team is important. We kind of have this lunch system because I really don't want our team to eat packaged food and fast food and sandwiches for lunch. So we have a system where we cook. We have like we cook. I mean, I go to the farmer's market and we also have like a farm subscription. So thinking holistically about everything. Also, we have our product is delivered by bicycle. Um, We don't own cars. It's just the word sustainability is such a difficult one. I think once you yeah. once you start working with it, you realize it's not that simple. And um, mm-hmm. but you try on a lot of different levels. So it's like inside of the production, or we reuse. We're in a co-working space here, so everybody we reuse all the boxes from everybody. So we package all our orders in used boxes, and then we just put a sticker on it, being like, "Hey, this box is fine." You know, they <laughs> we just reuse the boxes because then there's also less cardboard that needs to be recycled and everybody brings us their boxes and we have from small to big, but then they're just branded with another brand, but we put a sticker over it. And I think just thinking in a lot of different levels, starting with ourselves and how we act every day. That's incredible. The bike delivery. And so that made me think, do you only sell locally or do you sell in 
more specifically, do you sell worldwide? Yeah, no, not yet. We are okay. starting to ship. You can order online and we'll send it to you um, and by, by post. It's really expensive to send, but if somebody really yeah. wants it, we'll ship it to you. But it just proportionally how much the chocolate costs and then the shipping costs. But we have done it and we do do it. But we don't have any um, shops. We do have one shop in Torino that sells our chocolate but we don't really sell abroad so much because we yeah. still this is our sixth business here and we still have an we still have enough to cover in switzerland we don't really need to go abroad yet yeah and if you and want to have our chocolate you can just come and visit <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing so you said like education is a big part have you ever had volunteers kind of work in the like to see like kind of behind the scenes with you or mostly do you have full-time staff it's a mix we have um full-time staff and we have interns always we actually today somebody is just a somebody from UNIS coming to work with us oh amazing and um, so we have full-time people we have part-time people we have interns and we do as you mentioned always have kind of volunteers that just love the product and they'll come and help out so it's a mix yeah. can you tell me a little bit more about the interns the internship just because I think a lot of our listeners are either you know looking to transition into food systems or are looking for different opportunities and so is it open to anyone around the world or is it mostly local? At the moment, that's how I did the transition too, because I wasn't working in the food system. I was working in oh, the okay. design field. And then it took me a while. It took me about three years to do the transition. I was first looking at the food studies program at NYU. And then I, I saw the, the at UNISC, the master's program. And I was like, wait, this is way more fun. And <laughs> one tenth, one tenth of the price. Yeah, and like I get to move to Italy, and uh, it was the best choice ever. I think going to UNISC is a great way to start. And I did a lot of, I did a lot of different internships. And um, with us at the moment, I can only take German-speaking people because our team is so small that everybody carries responsibility. And if I have people in the team, I just had somebody from the Ukraine. And first I thought in English, it's fine. And I do have somebody from Argentina in the production, but it's it's for us, unfortunately, at the moment, a little bit too difficult not to have German-speaking people on the team because it makes everybody quite tired and there's miscommunication and they need help from other people because they don't understand or can't read, you know, when there's right. deliveries. And so unfortunately at the moment we can't. Yeah. So what's kind of, you said it took you a while to kind of get your, to do your transition into the food system. So kind of if someone listening is interested in shifting to, you know, chocolate specifically, what's kind of your advice on how they can get started in that field? Personally, I really think it's all about making connections and getting to know people. So it's Either you go roofing on a farm and you start working on a farm and on a farm, there's always people coming and you get to know people and people that buy cacao. And so you can either start in a farm or also find a place. If you go to a country where there's like, for example, people to Hawaii and in Hawaii, they grow cacao, but they also have chocolate factories and manufacturers. So then just starting to do internships and everybody takes interns. If you're willing to work, 
at a low cost in order to learn and to get connections, I think that's the best way. And there's no, you can't really learn how to make chocolate in school. I mean, there is food technology study programs and we have food technologists in our team. Mm -hmm. But still, chocolate making in the craft world, how we do it, is really learning by doing And so how do you kind of think to shift? Like, I know a lot of consumers, you know, because of price, they're like, I just want to get the cheapest chocolate bar. Do you think education will continue playing a big role in shifting that kind of mindset? Yes, definitely. And also, I mean, we, I mean, the last, since the Second World War, you know, we've been trying to get prices down of food so it's affordable for everybody at a lot of costs of we all know I mean we've all studied it or like oh the cost that has incurred for affordable food is now so big that we kind of have to go reverse again and start paying more that's also healthier for us and the environment and um, realizing that shift that we need to spend again more on food I think that's just going to take a lot of time and we're still far from it which isn't yeah it's true bringing the value back to food I think is going to be a big challenge mm -hmm. what was such the importance of like food systems that kind of drove you to want to work in this field because I mean it's not easy it doesn't sound like because chocolate making seems mm -hmm. really hard and the whole process it's just because with food i mean we make decisions so many times a day and with food we just you just you touch people and i think it's like when you do important work and you do meaningful work you really touch people and i can see it on every day i can see it in the team i can see it with our farmers i can see it with our consumers i mean our clients so for me it's very motivating and it's my driving force even if it's just changing people's realization like one by one, but still I'm I'm like I'm very confident and I'm like very happy about it every day. I love it. Oh, that's inspiring. And I really wanna mm -hmm. eat some of your chocolate now. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. So for some of our listeners, um, I know a lot of people will wanna like support you in the work that you're doing and get involved with chocolate. So how can someone, you know, that might not be in Switzerland kind of support you in the work that you're doing in the chocolate industry? Well, for sure to stay connected. The best thing is to stay connected on Instagram or LinkedIn. And also to kind of just <clears throat> look around wherever you are. There's always local chocolate makers and to go and see who is there in your community who makes chocolate and to go and explore. And even if a chocolate bar is $12, but just go there and kind of understand it and try it. And um, doesn't mean you have to buy it every day, but still to just see what, what is there around and how can I support local chocolate producers where, wherever you are. Perfect. And then is there kind of any resources around like learning more about chocolate and cacao that's online that you would recommend anyone going to to learn more about? Mm. I'm going to fairs, there's like the chocolate fair mm -hmm. in the States. I've never been to that one, but we have the Salon du Chocolat in Paris. Okay. Also books. There's a, a very nice podcast that I was just listening to that is really, um, it's called Obsessions into the Wild. Okay. The podcast and also a book, a book called Making Chocolate by the Dandelion is a chocolate producer in San Francisco. And they have a book out which 
really explains how you can make chocolate at home. I think it's a great book. They talk about origin and how to make chocolate and recipes. And I can really recommend that book, Making Chocolate. Oh, great. And one of my few last questions is kind of what are the goals for the floor in the next maybe five to 10 years? Like, where do you hope you are with chocolate and not maybe just with the floor, but, you know, chocolate in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my one of the goals from Love Flow is to really we're still very small, and we made eight tons of chocolate about last year, yeah. which is not that. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that much. And I would like to buy more and consistent cacao the or with the origins that we work with because what we can have a higher impact. One is a natural reserve. Tesoro Escondido in Ecuador. And we're just so close to them. And I know the more cacao we can buy from them and the higher price we can pay, uh, the more impact we have. And the more we buy from them, the different they can plant more trees in the natural reserve. They have to do less uh, forest deforestation. So, and that's my drive to sell chocolate. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the goal is really we want to sell more with that incentive of having an impact. Oh, that's amazing. I think it's just important for all of us to stay curious and open-minded and to think further than ourselves and to enjoy if it's good chocolate or bread or cheese or wine. And to just, I think it's the most beautiful things to be able to share a meal with people with products and then that's the thing, like the meal can be so simple, but if you know, if you just even open up a chocolate bar for a dessert with people, it's actually enough. And because the value behind it and knowing where it comes from, I think you don't even need to bake the cake and do this and that <laughs> and use yeah. the energy for it and like the time. I think if you, if one can like realize the, the beauty and the simplicity and then maybe it takes more effort to find the chocolate bar and maybe you'll spend more time to like you know going to that shop to get it or but you save the time and having to bake a cake for example and um yeah I think the beauty is lying in the simplicity of the quality of and that for me is kind of it's a it goes a little bit into being a luxurious product unfortunately somehow but good quality products just take maybe a little bit more time in finding them now I am inspired to go find a, a good chocolate bar. <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's one. Real quick. So what's the biggest difference you would say in taste between your commercial candy bar, like Hershey's versus a good cacao chocolate bar? When you take it in the mouth, it shouldn't be the sweetness as first. And like okay. when you eat a Hershey chocolate, like it's just sweet. You know, and yeah. it's kind of, and that's what makes it so addictive, you no? Know? Because our brain reacts to it. And so it's kind of, it's not even the flavor, it's that sugar. And mm-hmm. then you want more of that. And when you eat a piece of chocolate, something happens in your mouth and it's like maybe smoky or earthy. And you're kind of like, oh, and also you can't eat that much of it. You'll eat a piece mm-hmm. and be like, okay, I can't eat more. You can't eat a whole bar because okay. it's too much flavor. <laughs> That sounds like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, mm-hmm. perfect. Well, thank you so much. And thank you again for, yeah. you know, sharing your knowledge about cacao and chocolate. I feel like 
now I'm inspired to definitely go find a good chocolate bar because I don't really have a ton of experience in this kind of food world. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really nice. It's like once once you start, you'll like you can try and like. And what's nice too, I mean, you'll spend a lot on a chocolate bar, but also it keeps a while. I mean, you shouldn't keep once you open up a chocolate bar, you shouldn't keep it in too warm temperatures, also not too cold. So kind of red wine temperature storage is perfect kind of cellar or I mean, it, unless it's really really hot outside you can put it in the fridge but in the fridge there's always a lot of other flavors and then you just have to close the chocolate well but you can also keep a chocolate bar for a while it'll start losing flavors after I would say a month of an open chocolate bar but still and then you can have different ones and you have like your box with different bars and it's it's a very nice thing once you start because that's the thing when you open up wine, no, you can't keep the wine so long. So that's yeah. a little bit of an advantage to having and discovering chocolates. Okay, wow. Well, that is our episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Finding Your Future in Food Systems podcast. And thank you so much, Laura, for sharing more information about your company and your chocolates. Be sure to check them out online and follow them on social media. And you can find us at foodsystemsnetwork.org, where you can find all of our other social channels. If you're interested in being featured on the podcast or know an organization that may be, please feel free to email us at kim at foodsystemsnetwork.org. And we'd like to give a special thank you to the composer of our intro and outro music, Bo Vincent. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. Yes, my pleasure. I hope you can come to Zurich and visit one time. Thank you so much. Bye, bye.